I'll turn my mic off. You just leave it on, George. This is not the Martha Dean Show, please. Just keep it on strong, man. Got to have some way to talk to the people. All right, all set for a little Western drama out there. All set for a little drama of real life in America's storied, fabled, mythical West. Listening participation in there. 
just to close your eyes, especially if you're driving along the Jersey Turnpike. That'd be really exciting. Just close your eyes, see, turn up the radio, and imagine your own Western. Imagine the kind of western when the when you know the, the I've come the credits over it. There's always either Frankie Lane or Tony Bennett singing the so-called theme music. Give me a little echo chamber, can you, George? Oh, there we go. Never been to me. They don't do anything, but you know they're kind of rotten looking. You know they sit there 
And there's a certain enigmatic quality about toads. Just certain. Can you imagine 35 toads in the living room alone? 35! One toad! It causes, uh, you know, fist fights when it shows up. <laughs> you know, somehow, somehow, maybe something is trying to say something to Mr. Miller. You know, I, I, you know I, don't, I don't put anything down to you, George. I don't laugh at nothing. I don't laugh at magic, nothing anymore. Nothing, friend. I want to tell you, I used to, you know, it's funny how I used to laugh at it. You know, I used to, oh, come on, love potions, get out. Some night when I'm really loose, and, you know, I figure, you know, there's no sense in uh, going on or something like that, you know, when you don't give a damn what's going to happen. Let me tell you about the thing that happened to a friend of mine last year, went on a gag down on 14th Street. He bought himself $5 worth of love potions. You want to hear that story? Oh, I ain't going to tell it to you yet. The world is not ready for it. <laughs> In fact, I'm not ready for it yet. I know he wasn't. <laughs> but it actually was an unbelievable scene that developed that, you know. But, the, you know, the toads, I'll tell you about animals like that getting in the house. I mean, the, the strange things. Did I ever tell you about the time? You know, I'm staying, this reminds me of a thing that happened to me one time playing the outfield. Now, you know, outfielders are different from infielders. And at one time I was playing the outfield one whole year, and outfielders become nature lovers. Infielders, you know, got a lot of things to worry about, like keeping their teeth all in one place, you know, where they should be. <laughs> oh, boy, I'll never forget one time seeing a guy get, uh, you know, he pulled the ball, you know, down the third baseline, fantastic shot, and the third baseman's mind, I don't know where it was, it was someplace, but he made the mistake of, trying to feel the ball with his mouth open. And all I remember for that minute, there was a shower of teeth. You know, it was like a fine spray of teeth. You could, <laughs> you know, you could just see him in the air. By the way, the guy was given a hit. He got a double on it. And for the next 20 minutes, people were out there on their hands and knees going around picking up teeth. Now, they weren't false. They was real teeth. They were afraid somebody would slide in there, you know, there'd be problems. But uh, nevertheless, when you're an outfielder, you know, you get... You, you start enjoying nature. You know, you walk around. For example, did I tell you about the rare weed I discovered? Now, now yeah, th th this is this is the truth, you know. Uh, now, everybody, there's a whole, you know, the whole drug-oriented generation is constantly experimenting, looking for something that they can, you know, turn on with, anything. Well, uh, I'm standing out in the outfield one day, and you probably watch. If you ever watch a ball game on television, they show you an outfielder. You know, you see this guy out there up against the fence. He's standing out there. Well, what do you think's going through his mind, you know, in between long uh, moments when the pitcher's walking around and they're getting the sign or they're kicking the dirt or they're having a conference at the moment? What do you think he's doing? Well, it's hard to say really what he's doing because he couldn't really tell you himself. His mind is sort of uh, in its own way out in its own left field. And just sort of stand because you feel remote from the ball game uh, in, in the outfield in a curious way. You do, you know, you sort of mess around out there. And, and the outfielders tend to begin to examine grass a great deal. Because you see a lot of grass. Your, your office is grass, as a matter of fact. And uh, so you examine it a lot. And you begin to do things with it. Uh, for example, uh, watch the average outfielder someday, and you'll notice that he seems to bend over a great deal, and like he's picking things up or plucking at things. Well, what is, he do what is he doing? Well, most outfielders tend to chew on grass after a while. They do. They, I have never known an outfielder that didn't eat a lot of grass during the season. Now, I don't know what this does to a guy biologically. You know, after a while, he turns into a ruminant or whatever it is. What do they call a cud-chewing animal? A ruminant? Something like that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you become you become a cud-chewer out there. And so you mess around, you know, you kick dirt, and you look around, you pick up uh, this weed and that weed, and you put anything in your mouth. You know, you just wind up putting pebbles in your mouth. And, and uh, there was a weed I discovered in this one outfield. We used to play in different parks all the time. You know, we travel around. And there was one outfield had uh, pepper in it. It had uh, some kind of a, a wild pepper that was growing, a little low weed-like, a little tiny thing that would grow in between the real grass, a little weed, 
and had a little round, bright green leaves, very bright green, almost like, uh, oh, uh, uh, lime green, bright green. And attached to the leaves, or right below the leaves, there were little tiny pods, little tiny things about the size of a head of a pin. Well, I would see these things, you see, and I looked forward to coming to that park <laughs> because every, every, you know, I'm messing around out there hour after an outfield is life, friends, is very much the way they describe the life of a pilot. Hours and hours of boredom and brief seconds of sheer terror. This is exactly what happens to an outfielder because, you know, you mess around all, all of a sudden you, you, when your mind is... Have you ever wondered why, uh, they'll say, uh, Lindsey Nelson, be honest, he says, uh, there's a wind-up and a pitch, and then you're, you hear this, he says, uh, Tommy Angie, oh, he misjudged it. He said, uh, oh, there he goes. He's got it. What a catch. For a minute there, uh, he was going. Well, what happened was that Angie's mind was, you know, drifting around out there, and all of a sudden you hear this whack. And for a brief second, you don't know where the ball's going. You think, you know, what, is it a pop-up? What, you know? And then you hear this whack. The crowd, you know it's coming, you know? And you, you sense it. And you've got to go somewhere. You don't just stand, see? So he makes a lunge to his left, and then he's, the last instant he sees it going to his right. That's when he, he in midair, he, he changes direction and makes this diving, rolling catch. We, theoretically. <laughs> a diving, rolling thing at it. Now, he didn't lose it in the sun. He lost it in the left field of his mind, which is where you lose balls. Generally, and you can't come back and say, "Well, I was thinking of my bowling game." You know, you can't come back to you know when the the manager and he said, "What happened there?" You can't say, "Well, you know, I just uh, dozing off." And uh, oh no, you have to say, "Hey, look! If you go, go out there, take a look. Look at the window reflection off the light tower for crying out I can't even see the damn batter. Much of you know, you go on and on like this. Say, "Give me my glasses. Give me quick the sunglasses." Well, that's nothing. That's window dressing. What happens? Your mind goes off, see? So I'm standing out there, and I start to experiment with the grass, and I'm chewing, and I'm, mmm, boy. This grass had a sharp, poignant flavor to it. It was, it was like, it, it tasted almost like fresh pepper. You know how fresh pepper, you got a piece of fresh ground pepper, and you, you crunch it in your, your teeth, and you get that sharp, kind of tingly sense on the tongue? Well, I'm out there from about the first time it actually happened to me. It's a strange moment. I'm, I'm out there, and I began to mess around chewing the grass. Well, I get this the t thing on the tongue, and it was interesting, see. So uh, between innings, I, I take a glass of water. I, you know, they have a water cooler thing. I drink a little cold water. Wee, it comes back again. See, there's this thing with the tongue. So the next inning, I'm back out in the outfield again. I mess around with the stuff again. Well, the first time, I was only out there for two innings after my discovery, and I never thought anything about it. So, a couple of weeks go by. We're in other ballparks. And by the way, my favorite grass for regular day-in and day-out non-turning-on chewing was, if you're curious, clover. Clover's great to chew on. <laughs> you know, I'm talking about the kind, you know, with the little clover flowers and all. This is really terrific. I have to chew the stems. The stems are really good. You could kind of, you could kind of like them, you know. I'm chewing stems. And I even got so I used to like, I really did like dandelion leaves. You know, have you ever had dandelion wine? Groovy. It's good. Have you ever had dandelion salad? You ever had that? Well, dandelions, you know, you can make a whole salad out of dandelions. So I'm out there eating dandelions. And you know my usual routine, grass, dandelions. And if, and if I'm working on a field where they don't have dandelions or clover, I would settle for ordinary grass. You know, and even settle for... Uh, no, you know, uh, crabgrass, if I had to, see, which is not too good. I mean, crabgrass has got a certain acrid charm, but it's rather common. It doesn't have the, you know, the panache of a real vintage weed. So uh, a couple of weeks go by, and now I'm going to, the whole game, see, I'm out in right field. By the way, right field among outfielders is generally considered the, one of the worst fields to play. It's a hard field to play for a number of reasons. Uh, for one of the most important reasons is that a lot of shots you get out in right field are unpredictable because they're off the end of the bat. The great preponderance of ball players, you know, are right-handed, like in life, you see. So what happens when a right-handed hitter hits a shot to right field? Well, that means he's gotten off a shot which is off the end of the bat and spinning. You see, he's, he's reached out, the ball 
has been a little faster than he thought it was. It's almost past him. He catches it. He gets a slice. You know, that thing comes sailing out in the right field, and you don't know where it's going to go. If you're in left field, however, and you get a shot from a right-handed hitter, it's a straightaway shot. You know, he's he's hitting it straightaway and pulling it. So these are all technical details, which I'm sure mean nothing to you crochet fans. However, uh, <laughs> however, I'm standing right out the outfit. This will interest you. I'm sta- Give me a little of that scary music. Uh, you can reset that up there, George. We'll need that. I'm standing around out in the outfield, and it was a particularly non-outfield game. You know, some days an outfielder can go through a whole game and never even feel the ball. Never comes to him at all. And uh, when the pitcher is really on, see? So we had this guy who was a terrific, uh, really fine left-handed pitcher, and nobody was hitting that ball to left field. He was re- or to right field. He was really laying it in. So I'm just out there, you know, taking it easy. And it's warm. It's a beautiful day. So immediately Shepard plunges into the grass. So I start eating the grass. And I, and and it's that field where all these great little pods are. See, so I'm chewing away in the pods. And I'm I'm looking for them now. Before it was hit or miss. See, so I'm looking for the pods because I like that little sharp, kind of a. There's cinnamony taste. It's like a curious cinnamon quality. From chewing a really good flavor. See, zap, you know. Ooh, boy, I can feel this. My tongue is tingling. So I look for more. I look for more. Whole inning goes by. I must have had maybe a half pound of these weeds. So now I go back into the into the dugout, and uh, I'm going to be up to bat, see. So I go back into the dugout. I was batting third. Uh, I go back into the dugout, and I sit down, and uh, the first batter gets up, and he's taking his cuts. You know, we, we're playing away there. The second batter gets up, and he pops up or something, and i got to take a glass of water again. God, ah, that sharp thing. So I'm up at bat, and I go through the whole inning. Next inning, okay, Shepard is out in the outfield. About halfway through the second inning, eating these weeds, I pick up a sprig of the weeds, and I'm chewing away at it. Hmm. <clears throat> Ball game's going on somewhere out there in the middle distance. <clears throat> I pick up another one. <sighs> yeah. I'm spitting. You know how I feel. He's walking around spitting. You know. Take your glove. You know. You, you got to go through the motion like you're with it. See, so I'm chewing more weeds. All of a sudden, curious. I get the hottest sensation. I the feeling as though the outfield was drifting away from me. I mean, like, you know, the ground was just going out from under me. But drifting away, so nice. <laughs> You know, like as if somebody had, if somebody could hit a ball like, you know, 30 feet over my head, it would have been waist high. No. Like, you know, 400 feet high, Shepard is all of a sudden. Chewing away in a weed. Kevin, what, you know, what's going on here? I just drifted around for, it lasted maybe, oh, I don't know really, maybe 10, 15 seconds. Gone. Strange. <laughs> I thought. I thought. What the hell? And I did not relate it to the weed. Remember, at that point, I didn't relate it at all to this weed. Well, then some action began in the ball game. Somebody hit a shot out to left field, and I had to run over. You know, cover the throw and all, but because the guy's trying to make the throw to first, I go back. You know, I cut in back of the first baseman to cut. So I got some action. I'm running around. I've been sweating. The next inning, <laughs> I forgot all about the weeds, and it was the last out. The next inning, Shepard is back out in the outfield again, and the pitcher's pitching real good. He's laying it in there, and I'm messing around. I pick up a couple of weeds, and I start chewing like I always did. It was my habit always to chew, and I'm chewing on these little pods. When that strange feeling began. What the hell? 
I, I, I was watching. I was looking at the second baseman. There's a strange moment. I'm watching the second baseman, and I had the distinct impression. I, I remember the vision I got of it. That there were three second basemen were kind of in a row, and the middle one was the biggest one, see? What's happening? What's going on here? And somebody hit a pop-up. It was eerie. The pop-up seemed to hang in the air for 15, 20 minutes. I never saw a pop-up do that. It was like it was a balloon. Hanging in midair. And I see seven shortstops going after it, going after it like the Rockettes. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And then it faded out. Just faded out. that I decided I better lay off them weeds. I better lay off them weeds. Because it was something real sneaky and real dangerous out there, and I didn't know quite what it was. Which reminds me, this is W.O.R. in big old friendly New York. South of the equator, the trade winds are soft and warm. Come along with Marcus. To Fiji's legendary ports of paradise. To New Zealand with its geysers and glaciers. To Australia. Fly Qantas. Fly Qantas. On a tour that treats you better all around. From California, only $995 for 17 South Pacific days. And just about everything. The South Pacific. It's all out there. Waiting. See your travel agent and fly Qantas. Fly Qantas! Qantas treats you better all around. Qantas treats you better all around. All aboard and we will fly around. Don't get this big trip. Qantas treats you better all around. Gee, that's nice. Isn't that a nice sound? That's a beautiful sound, I'll tell you. Hey, listen, speaking of beautiful sounds, now listen here. I'm going to add, uh, this, this is a, a direct order. Direct order, all set. This is that time of year. According to 522 letters I've received in the last week, this is the time of the year for the Playboy Jazz and Pop Music Poll, right? All right. The guy writes me and he says, Shepard, I am for the third consecutive year, I am voting for you as the top miscellaneous instrument player. I'm voting for you as the best Jews I play in the business. All right? I agree with his selection. <laughs> well, I do. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> and, 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 uh, and so I am going to insist that uh, all my... You know, my ardent fans who love the sound of my dulcet Jews harp, get on the stick right now, this minute, and send in your vote to the Playboy Jazz and Pop Poll listing Shepherd under miscellaneous instruments, parentheses, Jews harp. I, I demand it. That's it. Now, uh, well, you know, politicians all demand that you vote for them. I mean, if you're going to vote for good, who do they say you should vote for? Them, right? I never heard a politician say, listen, I want to get elected because, you know, I dig the idea of getting on the Gabe Pressman show and I would love to, you know, get on TV and be interviewed by uh, David Susskind and I really want to get elected because, you know, they give you a limousine, you ride around and you get, you can park your car anywhere. <laughs> I'd kind of vote for a politician. You know, the guy that's running, he says, I'd like to have one of those badges on the front of my car. <laughs> you know, it's a state legislature. Oh, man. But uh, would you please, uh, no, I'm, I'm not kidding, I am insisting, vote for Shepard for miscellaneous instrument, Jews harp. I will now give you a demonstration why you should vote for me.
<laughs> you like that, George? You really dig that, don't you? You know, every time every time I get George on, he's working with me. I, I, I'm always inspired to play this thing. George, I'll tell you, there's another good sign on that. Uh, let me see. That was the chic. Uh, listen, on that, on the, would you get the other one? Yeah, yeah, yeah hold it up there. That's a terrific, uh, yeah, the sons of the Whiskey Rebellion. Dig it out there. Yeah, there you go. Uh, give me, I'll, I'll show you a good one. Give me, give me the first cut, Coney Island. Uh, cut one, cut one. Cut one, side one. You want to hear some real sounds on this little bippy here. Now, I'm doing this now. I, I understand, of course, I will get 422 letters from nice, shaky, purple-inked ladies. You know who? Dear Mr. Shepherd, I can't stand that awful sound you make. Please tell more about your mother and your trip to India. Now, <laughs> oh, my God almighty, where will it stop? All right, boy, here. Here we go. Here we go, man. George, I want to show you something. You may be interested. Uh, this one right here, as a matter of fact, is the one. I carried this through all, through all the time when I was in the Army. I had this thing with me. And uh, I can tell you, it certainly won me friends. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There's something about the Jews that people either hate it or love it. It's just like, what's that? Three. Three what? You want to hear these? You want to hear the other three? How many do I have? Let's see. Right now, I am the proud owner of five truly elegant Jews harps. No, these are all good ones. These are not, you know, the kind... I think people tend to, con you know, confuse them with those little toys you buy at the dime store. These are not. And uh, these are all different types. For example, look at this one, George. This Jews harp here uh, is roughly 75 years old. This one was made in the 1880s, late 80s. And uh, very interesting Jews harp. It was sent to me by the person who said that uh, it was owned by her grandfather. And uh, they, they had this in his effects and so on. She says, I thought you'd like to have it. It's a great one. And look, look, at, that. look at how elegant it is. A really great looking. You want to hear what a 75-year-old Jews harp sounds? This is, a, this is a real piece of Americana. It's going to... Now, that sound is a little more like a dulcimer. 
really, uh, than, uh, than the other one. Uh, this this, uh, this is a, a, a modern, excellent use harp, one of the most difficult to buy today. Here it's got a, it's got a more of a heavy, deep sound. And this one is a, is a classical. Incidentally, it has a hand-hammered uh, and tempered tongue in it. You can see where it's actually been hammered. It's uh, this is a handmade juice. Of course, so of course, those are the, uh, in fact the others. In fact, all these are. But uh, this one here is particular interesting. Now I'll tell you, I'll t give you an idea how the difference uh, in sound is. George, would you please uh, uh, give me uh, Hindustan on that same cut there, that same record, and uh, I'll give you an idea how it, how the different ones sound. And just give me the opening phrases, George, and when I cue you to uh, to stop, then reset it, and I'll, I'll show you how the different uh, juice harps sound. Now, I have with me tonight, I have my usual collection here. I have one, two, three, four, five of my juice harps, and they're from, uh, well, actually, they're from uh, four different countries. Uh, here's an Austrian juice harp. This is an interesting one. It's here. You can do some very subtle things with this Austrian one. Listen to this. So you can get some wide variety of sounds with this one. Now, now I'll play this Austrian juice harp and give you an idea of what you can do with it. Okay, George. Have has a peculiar plangent sound. It, it, uh, in fact, it sounds a little bit like. Uh, do you remember the uh, the zither music for the Third Man? They go for sounds like that over there. In fact, uh, uh, you know, very few people play the zither in America. It's not a sound, and even though it, it is a folk instrument and has been played by folk instrumentalists for centuries in America. It has never become a popular instrument. That is, you know, you don't hear the zither played in cafes. You don't hear, the, you don't hear a great zither player playing down here at the bitter end or anything like that, because the zither has just never. In America, this isn't a sound that Americans like. You know, it's funny when you when you think about sounds uh, as being a national characteristic, like a national taste. Has it ever occurred to you that that uh, food, for example, hello, what's that home there? Food, for example, has a we we all recognize the fact that uh, that different nationalities will have a different national taste in food. For example, if you go to uh, say uh, Mexico, for example, uh, they have a taste for much hotter food, uh, much more spicy food than let's say the average taste is in America. On the other hand, uh, you'll go to other countries, like, say, England, for example, and you'll find their food, compared to ours, is quite tasteless. They don't have... Now, that doesn't mean it isn't good. For an Englishman, it is. They don't have a taste for uh, spices at all. They just don't like spicy food. And so you go to England, a lot of vegetables will be boiled, meat will be boiled, a great deal of it. And uh, they just don't... They go for blander food. Uh, so we recognize this in food. But we don't really... I've never heard anybody talk about the fact that sounds are also a national taste. So if you go to, say, a country like uh, Poland, for example, uh, I've been in Poland, and, and uh, you know what you hear a great deal of in Poland, which you hardly ever hear here? That's concertinas uh, and accordions. They love accordions. You go... You go uh, every Polish... In fact, right now, I'm sure there's a lot of Polish people listening... And every Polish dance you go to, there's somebody playing an accordion. <laughs> I mean, it's a big thing. Well, now, we recognize the fact that, uh, that in Spain, for example, Spain uh, uh, has a great predilection to guitars. They like the sound of a guitar. 
And uh, even even their classical music, uh, somebody will write a symphony, and you'll find a guitar is in the middle of it somewhere. This is a great taste in their country. Uh, our country, no. We, we, we guitar guitar is is popular for certain things, but it is rarely considered a, a classical instrument. We we tend to believe a classical instrument is a piano or a violin. And some countries rarely see violins. You rarely see a violin played in many countries. On the other hand, uh, you go to, uh, to India now, for example, and you rarely see a piano. It's just not a national taste. They don't have a taste for that particular sound. And uh, the Jews harp is like that. Now, a lot of you people sitting out there, this is not a pleasant sound to you. I will concede that. Because your ear is tuned to other more American and more... I suppose you can say more uh, con conventional sounds in our times. Now, you know, uh, many people will believe that the thing that they like, now this is, this is uh, where intolerance comes in, many people believe that the thing they like is the thing that if other people were intelligent would like too. <laughs> in short, a lot of people will believe that the kind of food they like is the ultimate kind of food. Whatever they like is what real people eat. Now, all the others are faking it or whatever it might be. And that uh, holds true for music, too, that, that, that you'll find, for example, a guy who may be a total rock cuckoo. He believes that his form, that music, is the ultimate. That's, 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 that's where it is. And they even mean it. That When you say that's where it is, that means that anybody who likes anything else is obviously not with it. He's, he's just not there. Well, you find this true among jazz fans. You find it true among classical pe people who did classics. You even find it true among the, the Lawrence Welk people who will say to you, what, what is all this noise? You know, to them, what is real music is, uh, is uh, Florence Zimmer or Norma Zimmer singing Beautiful Ohio accompanied by three guys on accordions. Well, all right, I'm not putting it down. I'm saying this is the way it is. Taste is very subjective. And also, taste, we tend to defend it. Now, the Jews harp is a, an instrument that has had great periods in history, great periods of classical acceptance. Now, I don't know how I got on the subject tonight, but I might as well do it just since I'm on it. Uh, during, for example, during the 18th and early 19th century, there were several very famous French Jews harpists who literally took the concert halls by storm. There is music, in fact, in the classical repertoire that was written for Jews. In fact, right now in a museum, uh, I believe it is the British Museum. I, 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 uh, I'm not sure of this fact. Uh, the one of the great uh, displays there is a is a is a Jews harp that was played by a virtuoso who played and designed his own. Uh, I believe it was in the late 18th and early 19th centuries. He had a, a Jews harp, a tremendous Jews harp that had 17 different tongues. He, cover a tremendous range with it, very difficult to play. In fact, nobody else has been able to play it. But this guy had music written for him. He traveled all over the concert halls of Europe and was, a, you know, considered a fantastic musician, and he was. Now, in, in, in certain countries, the, this sound, for example, the sound of the zither, you remember? You remember the third man theme? That is a characteristic sound. That, that plangent sound of the zither is very similar to the sound of a Jews harp. So in Austria, the Jews harp is a, is a very popular instrument, serious instrument, not just kids. See, we tend to think of it as kids over here. It's a hard instrument to play. I've never heard a kid play the Jews harp well any more than you, you will hear a, a kid play a classical guitar well. It just takes too long to learn it. It's a hard instrument to play. Now, these are, these are, are, are fine Austrian Jews harps. I have two of them with uh, two different uh, ranges. Here's, here's another one. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the next one. Here are the two. Now, here's, here's a, an English Jews harp with the same sound. That's that's a nice sound, and here here's a another. This this is a German Jews harp. It's got a listen to it. Now 
how do you, do you like that sound? Or, or you like the second one? Is this the one you like? All right, everybody, most people like this sound, and I'll tell you why they like this sound, because this sound is really closer to the kind of ear that we have. This is the English one, and it's a little closer to the, to the type of ear that we're used to. Now, this sound, I'll give you, again, I'll go back to the Austrian Jews high. Now, that, that sound has a great overtone of that zither sound. This doesn't really. It's a, it's more of a, a mellow, less plangent uh, quality. A plangent is that, that ah, doi. <laughs> now, uh, of course, that's all a matter of taste. Now, I will play, let's see, uh, give, give me that thing again. Now, I played the, the Austrian harp with it. Now, I'll play the English harp with that same tune. You'll hear, hear what that sounds like with it. minutes here, but uh, before we, uh, I'm going to show you something about the Jews have now, and you're, you're used to hearing it played with, uh, as a part of a group. Now, the Jews hat, by the way, is very, very popular in Sicily. It is a, it is a genuine, uh, well, I don't want to, even, you want to use the term folk music, because after all, all music is folk, really. Uh, all music that you hear in the world comes out of human beings, <laughs> And that's such a strange word, folk. But uh, the uh, the Sicilian Jews harpists are phenomenal. Now, the sound that... I'll, I'll show you how a Jews harp is played as a solo instrument now, as opposed to an instrumental instrument where, where you're, you're part of an instrumental group. There's a great deal of tongue action and head action in it. Here, for example, is what I mean. <laughs> and you can get different sounds by the control of your breath. For example, here's a straight sound. Listen to this. It's a different breath control. So it's uh, it's quite an instrument, and, and uh, it, I, I just uh, I feel this personally. Uh, I feel that within the next uh, five years, with the increasing, uh, I think people are getting more sophisticated in general and more receptive to sounds. Uh, just as food is changing today, uh, you can you can buy food, and I mean you can go to the frozen food counter and get Danish vegetables, for example. Yeah, you can, you know. You can go into frozen food counter today, and you can get yourself anything from enchiladas to uh, uh, to Indian food. You really can. Well, I, a few years ago, I couldn't have done that. And I think people are beginning to you know appreciate other things, which is all of the good, as far as I'm concerned. And I think that in a few years, you're going to find more and more people are going to start hearing these sounds. And I would say within three or four years, the Jews app is going to be a big deal. And you will forget that you heard about it here. <laughs> you will start writing me and asking me what I think of X, who is playing the Jews app. Well, that's the way it always is. However, uh, I, 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 I'd love to cut an LP. A really good LP uh, with original music written for Jews. I'm talking about notated, good, solid, orchestrated music because it's a. I think it's a. It's a. It's a spectacularly interesting instrument, properly played, and incidentally properly listened to. I remember uh, five years ago I was playing sitar music on my shows. Seven, eight years ago, and I get thousands of letters. What is this jangling junk you're playing? <laughs> From the same people, by the way, who stood in line 
at Carnegie Hall when it became the right time for it. That's important, the right time. And Ravi Shankar was playing it for all those years, and who cared, you know? It was just jangling sounds. So, uh, you know, try to think an honest thought over the weekend. Uh, keep your gut pulled in and give them a low, low silhouette. Here's a...